Hey, welcome to the Rooted to Live podcast. I hope in this episode you find encouragement as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus. I hope today by listening to this episode, you will be encouraged to know what you have because of who you are in Christ. I'd be glad to share a passage of scripture with you today. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. And the verse begins with this phrase, for this reason. Whenever you see that phrase, that means it's there for a reason. And what Paul has been speaking about and writing to the Ephesian believers concerning is their identity in Christ. So what he's about to do in this letter is write really a prayer. He's sharing his prayer to God with the believers in Asia Minor. And so what Paul is saying is, in light of all we praise God for in verses 1 through 15, it's all of who we are in Christ And as a way of reminder, if you listen to the last episode, these are some of the identity claims a believer in Jesus could could choose to take upon themselves. God sees them as blessed. Do you see yourself as blessed or cursed? That you're chosen. Do you see yourself as chosen by God? Um, Some people get concerned with that word uh, or words later on in the passage like predestined or in other parts of scripture like elected. But they're not scary words. They're just Bible words to talk about God's part in his redemptive plan. So the believer is blessed and chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, and sealed. And as Paul is encouraging the believers in Ephesus, we too ought to be encouraged because that is who we are in Christ. And there is so much more. So Paul breaks from these identity claims just really into to prayer, into praise. And so verse 15 says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly place far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come that's one long sentence that Paul is writing I don't know if you would get an A on a uh, literature exam or writing um, but it's definitely an A in doctrine and encouragement and so Paul is saying that he's heard some things about this church in Ephesus, about the believers in Asia Minor and Ephesus, and he's been hearing about their love. He's heard about their faith in Jesus and about the way the church, the believers there, hold love for one another. Now what's really interesting is later on in Scripture, you can read in the book of Revelation um, that there's a letter written to the believers in Ephesus, to the church in Ephesus, and one of the things that had happened over time with these believers is that they lost their first love, the Scriptures say. But at this point in the history of the church, they're known for their love. And remember, love is a choice to yield to another's best interest, and these people got it. They are known for it. And Paul's been hearing about it even from the place that he's writing from. It's really an amazing rumor to be spread about you, though, isn't it? Like how loving you are toward other people. And Paul's actually modeling something for us. Um, he's, he's modeling often something that we could do as well, and that's encourage others in what you see about them that is praiseworthy. So I challenge you even this week or upon hearing this podcast, whenever you hear it, 
that you would reach out to a few people and just encourage them with some of the things that you see in them that are praiseworthy. Paul does this often in his letters, even to churches that really struggle and have issues. He does commend what is commendable. And I just invite you to consider the same. In fact, usually what is rewarded is repeated. So please consider encouraging other people in such a way. So Paul, he's encouraging uh, these folks. He's telling them, you know, when I think about you and I pray for you, one of the things that comes to mind that I've been hearing about you is how loving you are toward one another. He's like basically telling them, it seems like you're a lot like Jesus. What a compliment. And what Paul continues is to do is he's overflowing in gratitude into prayer in the passage. He's writing out his prayer, telling the believers what he prays for over them. And what he's really praying are for impl- are implications of the gospel for those who are in Christ. Um, let me read verse 17 uh, through 18 for you. He says, I do not, uh, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you my prayers. Then verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So what Paul is asking God for concerning the believers in Ephesus is what? Well, he's asking for what some theologians call illumination at this point. Illumination is the idea that God opens our eyes to know him and his truth, to see accurately what his word has to say and what it means. It's really the idea of how we understand scripture. And it is a spiritual phenomenon. We need God's help to see his word accurately and apply it appropriately. Um, maybe you uh, wear glasses or uh, our contacts, or maybe you've had like um, LASIK surgery to see better, see clearly. I've been wearing glasses since at least fourth grade that I remember. And as, even as I grew into middle school playing basketball and sports, I started wearing rec specs. Maybe you've heard of those before. Real chunky goggles to play sports in, indestructible, supposedly. I remember there was a time wearing contacts. There was kinds of contacts, hard lenses versus soft lenses. And you would choose based on what worked best for you. Hard lenses were really known to crack, but I found a way to tear lots of soft lenses and lose bits into my eye every once in a while. But all of that was in the hopes of being able to see better or see clearer. Well, it's the same for us spiritually. We need aid. We need help to see. We need, in a sense, Holy Spirit glasses to see what God wants to show us. In fact, you can read about different examples of illumination throughout the scriptures. In the book of Luke, there's a couple examples just in Luke chapter 24, where Jesus is speaking to people that didn't understand at one point, and then later on they say, weren't our hearts burning within us as he was telling us the truth? Wasn't something going us, oh, and now we see it. Or later on, after his resurrection, the apostles or the disciples at the time um, are known to say, like uh, the text says of them, that Jesus opened their eyes to see what is true or opened the eyes of their hearts. And so we need God's help. And Paul is praying that the believers in Ephesus, he's asking God, the Father of glory, to give them the spirit of wisdom, the revelation and knowledge of him, and having eyes of their hearts enlightened. And so what we see here, first though, in verse 17, Paul asked the Father in light of illumination to grant the spirit of wisdom. Why? Why do we need God's wisdom to truly know and embrace what God says. This Proverbs tell us that wise people pursue wisdom or wise people pursue counsel. And ultimately, we want God's wisdom. You know, some people talk about knowledge being the, knowing the difference between right and wrong or knowing the truth from, um, from the lie. And wisdom, though, is taking what you do know and putting it into practice. So why do we need God's wisdom? Um, because the gospel is perceived as foolishness to the world. 
Uh, we need to have a good understanding of what is true and right in light of the world in which we live. Uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, 18-21, Paul writes uh, to the believers there in the tough town that they lived in, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For since in the wisdom of God, there's the phrase wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. We live in a time where we need God's help, really supernatural wisdom to discern what is right and true and best and what is not. In light of these days in which we hear several messages, and you're hearing one right now by listening to this podcast, and I challenge you to test all these things against Scripture, we need God's help to discern. We need God's wisdom to navigate this life. So obtaining wisdom from the Lord concerning our identity, remember there's context here, Paul is wanting these people to have wisdom concerning all the things he's been saying in the first 14 verses. So obtaining wisdom from the Lord concerning identity and who we are in Christ, who God says we are, goes beyond just knowing the facts of our identity, but to belief and then making decisions and taking steps in concert with what we believe concerning God's view of us. So when the scriptures say that you're loved, right? In love, he predestined us for adoption. So an identity claim is that you're loved. The lie, of course, would be that you're hated. Or uh, the, the scriptures say you're adopted. The lie would be to say that you're orphaned by God. No, not only do you just need to know these things, but we need to make decisions and take steps of faith in light of these truth claims, in light of these identity claims. And that's what God, or that's what Paul is asking God for, for wisdom to live out or to live in our identity. Verse 17 again says um, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him. Hmm. So Paul asked the Father to give the revelation and the knowledge of him. That's going to be something that we have to consider together. What, what is Paul really asking for? Well, we need God to help us know him better. That's the revelation and the knowledge of him. The, the whole point of the Christian life is about knowing God, isn't it? Knowing we are known by God and making him known to other people. And Jesus says, this is eternal life, that we may know you, the one true God, and the one uh, you have sent, Jesus Christ. That's John chapter 17, verse 3. Paul writes, my goal is to know him and the power of the resurrection. That's uh, Philippians 3, I believe. John writes in 1 John, uh, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. So the life of the Christian is moving toward when we will see Christ. And that makes our life about knowing God and making him known to others. Back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. When Paul asks the Lord to allow the eyes of our heart to be enlightened, he's asking that believers begin to see really who God is and what he's done. This in turn allows us to see ourselves as God does. And that's critical to see yourself as God sees you, not in light of your wounds or your past or what other people have said about you, but what the Father says. Remember, when you read the scripture, don't read it just only in context, which is very important for Bible study, but also read it in light of God's character. So there's a battle here. We need help um, to move forward in life, not just in the revelation and knowledge of Him, but having our hearts enlightened because we there's going to be a battle for us. 
Paul asks the Father for very different things, doesn't he, than what most of us ask for. His list so far is very different than what our prayer requests usually are for the sake of other people. So why does Paul um, pray concerning the eyes of our hearts being open? Why does he care about that? Well, verse 18 tells us more, um, starting in part B, in a sense, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe? Hmm. According to the working of his great might. So there are three things Paul is asking the Father that believers should understand. Um, So we need our hearts enlightened or illuminated. We need understanding. And there's three things that Paul said here. First, in verse 18, it says the hope of our calling. And second is the glorious riches of the inheritance uh, among the saints. And the third was the immeasurable greatness of God's power to us who believe. So first, to know our hope. Um, What hope do we have, really? Well, the scriptures tell us that we have a living hope because we have a living Savior. Paul often writes about hope being shared in God's glory, the hope of salvation, of righteousness, a new body that never fades or runs down. That's going to be great. And the hope of eternal life. So God has given us a hope of a future with him. But the hard part is when we look at the world around us, we can become hopeless. When we look at our circumstances or our own health or maybe your bank account or the prospect of a new job or how life is going for your children or your adult children, sometimes it's easy to lose hope. But it depends on what we're looking at to find hope. So Paul often writes about hope and he wants us to know about the hope that we have in Christ, the hope to which we've been called. God has given us a hope of a future with him. And when you share the love of God as expressing the good news of Jesus with other people, you're actually offering true hope to other people. So we are to know our hope. That's what Paul is asking God to help us with. And I'm praying the same today as you hear this, that God would let you know or remind you that you'd hold fast to the hope that you have in Christ. Secondly, Paul's asking that people would be illuminated to the understanding or their hearts enlightened, uh, that we know that the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. Some people think this is about our inheritance someday in the kingdom, like what we get in God's kingdom one day. But the language leans toward the inheritance God receives, what God gets someday. So what is it that Paul's asking God for here? Well, that we would know our value. Paul wants believers to know the value God places on those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, if you know Jesus and you've been adopted into his family, uh, you've been brought into the family, you've been redeemed and forgiven and sealed, um, you are chosen into the family of God, you are precious to him. And there is a lie out there in the world that would suggest that you aren't, that you have no value or no worth, that human life has no value and worth. But the scriptures point and direct otherwise. The father so loved you that he sent his son. Um, that God's demonstrated his love toward you and that while you were against him, while you were an enemy of his, while you were a sinner, he sent his son and Christ willingly, because of his love, chose to die. You are precious to him and valuable. Please don't forget it. Maybe someone hearing this podcast today needs to be reminded of that, that you have value to God. Thirdly, Paul wants believers to know the immeasurable greatness of his power. So we're to know God's power made available to us. It's only by God's power we will arrive into his heavenly kingdom. Isn't that true? And his power is given to who? The text tells us. To those who believe. You know, it can be very challenging for people to think about the power of God because we don't see God in the same way that we see other people. 
Um, we see the effects of God's work. We see the universe and all that's created. We see the power of the storm. Or maybe you live in an area like I do where we have hurricanes every once in a while. We hear of hurricanes coming. Just recently there was an earthquake that even touched to where I live in North Carolina. I didn't. I must have slept right through it. I didn't feel it, but other people did. So we see the effects of power and of creation and of nature. But it's hard to really grasp the concept of God's power. Why would Paul ask the God of the... Um, uh, God the Father to help the Ephesian believers know God's power. Well, in that time and place, remember, some people were caught up in magic and cults, astrology and emperor worship. Their lives were very dark, um, powerfully evil. And many people left that life when they were won over by the gospel of Jesus Christ, won over by the love of God in Christ. And when they put their faith in Jesus, they left one version of power for another. They were saved from evil. And the people who first received this letter would have lived in fear of the powerful spiritual forces in their town. But Paul is reassuring them that God's power is supreme over all that. The power that raised Christ from the dead is the power given to us to live a life battling against worry or against political issues and turmoil and trouble of our world. It's the power that we've been given to battle temptation, doubt, and dark forces. They existed then in Ephesus and they do today right where you live. You know, sometimes we don't call upon Jesus and his power. And why is that? Well, sometimes we make God small. Or we fail to understand the battle that we're really in. Or we think, we got it, I got it, I got it. Um, That's not really stepping into and employing the power of God that's already been available to us. And Paul is asking that God would help believers know the power of God. That's what the text says. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So we need to pray for one another to be strengthened in the power of God to live for God's glory. Paul then reminds the believers of the evidence of God's power. That starts in verse 20. That he worked in Christ. So the power, his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. So the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul cites the resurrection of Jesus as a demonstration of God's power. Well, some might say, well, how can we know that? We weren't there. Well, one thing that can really encourage us is that there were uh, hundreds of eyewitnesses of Christ's post-resurrection body. And we have the pages of scripture and the testimony of all who believed. Now, the resurrection gives believers a powerful hope in living a life for God and his glory. But Paul also cites, he doesn't just cite the resurrection, but Paul also cites Jesus isn't just alive, but reigning forever. That Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand, that he's enthroned. So what does that mean for you and I? It means that everything is under his reign as the king, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, the scriptures say, and he does so from the position of his throne. You know, uh, I have a distant relative uh, that was a part of uh, one of the early competitions, a strongman competition here in the United States. Uh, His name was John Kolb. He played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe, at one point. And I know over time, I was watching strongman competitions, that they do different competitions, different, um, not exercises, but disciplines or or, uh, challenges 
where I remember one scene where a guy would hold two um, weights out. Uh, his arms extended. He tried to hold weights, really heavy weights, up as long as he can to keep them from falling to the ground. And all you had to do is just hold them. And you could see just their power and how long they could go. But the truth is that every one of them dropped the weight. Even the strongest man drops the weight. I've seen a competition before where they just, um, uh, there's a pool and there's a bar um, stretched across the pool, maybe seven feet up above the pool. And the only challenge here is just the guy needs to hold on as long as he can. So he needs just to hold his weight up on the bar before falling in the pool. And whoever holds on the longest wins. And guess what happens? Even the strongest one falls. But when it comes to Christ, he's not lost one single person that the Father has given him, that he holds all things together by the power of his hand. This The psalmist would talk about God's righteous right hand. He himself holds all things together, and he can certainly hold you, and he can hold your problems. He is strong and strong enough to reign and to rule rightly and justly. No one can overcome him or um, thwart his power. And so we need to pray for one another to be reminded to be strengthened in the power of God, to live for God's glory. We need to know that. Hmm. Well, I was just thinking, you know, in who or what do we sometimes try to put our hope in, though? We have a powerful Savior, a risen Savior, and we often try to find hope in our job or our, our spouse or a future dream or a savings account. If only I would have that, then I would have hope kind of sentiments. But what is it and who is it that you have in Christ, really? You have a powerful king. So everything is under Christ's reign as king. Not only is Jesus alive and on his throne, but he's in charge. Verse 22, uh, let me read that for you again. And he put all things, and God put all things under his, that is Christ's feet, and gave him as the head over all things, to the church. What that means is that there's no equal competitor to Jesus. I remember at one time learning of a cult that believed that Jesus and Satan were equal and opposite brothers. They were equal in force and in power, and one was good and one was evil. But that is not what the scriptures tell us. The scriptures tell us right here that everything and everyone is lower than Christ, that he is over all earthly powers, even his enemies are under his feet. And that means every power is inferior to him and subject to him. That also means that every trouble that you're experiencing, every hardship is smaller than him and his power, his might, his will. So the Father, God the Father, put all things under Christ's feet. But there's more to this power uh, of Jesus. Verse 22 again. Then he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Jesus isn't just resurrected and throned and supreme, but he's the head of the church. And all believers then, all Christians are called Christ's body, the text says, which is his body, verse 23. The fullness of him who fills all in all. But Jesus is the head of that body. So all believers make up. Um, in a sense, the neck down of a body, if you will picture that. And Christ is the head. Jesus identifies himself with his church, and that's really important for us to know. But why is it important for us to know? Because it means that a pastor isn't the head of the church. Jesus is. It's Christ's church. The Bible tells us that Christ himself builds his church. Look at um, what else it says. Consider what else it says here in Ephesians about Christ and his church. Verse 23 again, it says... Um, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
So that phrase is interesting. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. And people, theologians, um, debate the meaning of this phrase. Um, And I take it to mean not that we fill Christ like we complete him, but rather he fills us as we depend on him with his power by God's spirit so that the church functions as him in this world. We are to be a full expression of him. So these really are Christ's power positions, you know. Uh, all these things we just looked at him, that he's not only resurrected, but he's seated at the right hand, he's enthroned, he reigns supreme, everyone's below him, and he's the head of the church. These are the places of power for him, and we're to know it. And yet, Paul doesn't ask the Father to grant believers power. Isn't that interesting? We don't see him in this prayer saying, God, give give them power. And why? Well, because we already he already gave it. We already have it. We have the very power that raised Christ from the dead in our lives. Throughout the New Testament, we see that God is giving us his power to love, to forgive, to serve, to step in faith in anything that God has called us for the sake of others in the glory of God. I invite you this week, if, if you would like to connect with God through his word and, and do so in the passage we just looked at today, I challenge you to read all of Ephesians chapter 1 and be reminded of how God sees you, who you are in Christ if you are a believer. If you've not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you've been struggling, I, I just invite you to surrender that, to acknowledge to God that you need him. And in the next episode, I hope that we'll go to Ephesians 2 and talk about who we used to be before Christ or who we are without him. Um, who we were, um, in contrast to who we are in Christ, which is what chapter one is about. Um, if you'd like to get in contact with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me anytime at jasonrtoby at gmail.com. Uh, reach out to us at the Rooted to Live website. Uh, share this podcast with other people if it's been an encouragement to you. But I'd love to hear from you what you've been taking away from these podcasts. Uh, I'd love to engage with you. But I pray that starting from this day forward that you'd recognize how precious you are to God. And so much so that the Father sent the Son to be your Savior. And I I long for you um, to truly grasp his love for you. And to live love. To live approved. And then to live in the power of God. To walk wisely in the darkness of this world as a light in a dark world. God bless you.